Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you just for bringing us here together as the family of God, as the church. You have given us so much, Lord, and as David was praying, how you have sent your son to die for us. We thank you for the salvation we have in Christ. Lord, I pray as we get into your word today that we will be convicted of these truths, that we will be encouraged, motivated to love on the brethren. Lord, we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a manufacturing town in Scotland, a young lady began teaching a Sunday school to poverty-stricken boys. The most unpromising youngster was a boy named Bob. And after two or three Sundays, he did not return. So the teacher went to look for him. And although the superintendent had given Bob some new clothes, they were already worn and dirty when the teacher found them. So the teacher gave them some new clothes to Bob, and he came back to Sunday school. But soon, he quit again, and the teacher went out once more to find him. And when she did, she discovered again the set, second set of clothes was just like the first, just dirty. And she goes to the superintendent, I'm completely discouraged about Bob. Uh, I, I guess we must give up on him. And then the superintendent says, please, don't give up on him. I plead with you. I believe there's hope here. Try one more time. So he gave Bob a third change of clothes, and this time he began to attend faithfully. And it was not long until he became a Christian and eventually even taught in that same Sunday school. Who was that ragged boy who for a time seemed so unreachable? He was none other than Ro Robert Morrison, who later became the first Protestant English missionary to China. He translated the Bible into Chinese and brought the word of God to countless millions of Chinese people. So the teacher did not give up on the boy, and it resulted in the gospel advancing. She had a responsibility to try and to give it her all, just like the church has a responsibility to bear the burdens of one another and try and give it our best. Today's passage is about not giving up on one another and doing all we can to restore the brother who has fallen in sin, and it's also about bearing their burdens and examining our own work. This is important for us because as God's people, we need to realize we need each other. We all have different gifts by the Spirit, and we are to use them for God's glory. If one of the parts of the body of Christ is not doing so good, we ought to help them. Imagine trying to put away groceries with a broken leg or doing a push-up without one of your arms. We are a part of the family of God, and we ought to treat one another with love. Our passage today is in Galatians 6. Verses 1 to 5, you can open up to Galatians 6, 1 to 5. We will touch upon the context first and then move on to the three main points for today's message. They are restore, bear, and examine. After these points, we will conclude with some applications. All right, so we're going to begin reading our text here in Galatians 6, verse 1 to 5. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in an, any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. 
for each one will bear his own load. So to better understand the context of our passage, I'm going to begin with a major theme in Galatians. That theme is freedom in Christ. This theme is often observed when Paul speaks about the topic of the law in Galatians 5. He explains to the churches of Galatia that we are no longer bound by the law and can follow Christ by the Spirit. They are not required to be circumcised or seek to be justified by the works of the law. If the Galatians follow another gospel and seek to be justified by the law, then they are not walking by the Spirit. We are freed by the true gospel to work for the glory of God without any condemnation of the law. We know in Galatians 3, verse 24, it tells us that the law is our tutor, not our Savior. The law does not save but it should lead us to the one who does save Christ and Christ alone. In Galatians 5, 13 to 15, Paul explains how the law is fulfilled by love, the first manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit, that we are to love one another and serve them with the freedom we have in the Spirit. We are not to devour one another and use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So our main passage flows from Galatians 5, 16 to 26. You might be familiar with that, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Well, it's talking about walking by the Spirit who is in opposition to the flesh. It is from this passage that we learn that those who are being led by the Spirit, we are not under the law. Now, before we tackle our passage, let's observe the biblical audience and historical cultural background. Although some may disagree, evidence points to Paul writing to the churches located in the Roman province of Galatia that he founded on his first missionary journey. Paul probably wrote uh, the book of Galatians from Antioch of Syria shortly after his first missionary journey and before the Jerusalem council. In Acts 15, Paul's critics appear to have been Jews who claimed to be Christians, but they wanted Christians to submit to the authority of the Mosaic law and its, into, um, and its rulings. So they probably came from Jerusalem and they had a pretty big influence. Now, Peter, if you read Acts 15, he then stands up for the gospel and reminds them of the truth. So, the Galatians, the context here is they're being influenced by the Judaizers, false teachers, right? In Galatians 5.11, we observe that the Judaizers had falsely claimed that Paul agreed with their teaching. But Paul makes the point that if he was preaching circumcision was necessary for salvation, why were the Judaizers persecuting him instead of supporting him? So, Paul is writing this letter to the biblical audience with a great concern for them. And he does this in a defensive tone because his apostleship has been attacked. You can read that in Galatians 1. He knows that many are in danger of falling away from the true gospel because the Galatians are being told a distorted gospel by these Judaizers who claim that they sh should be all circumcised. So Paul acknowledges that there are those who are acting in the flesh in these churches. They need to be warned and reminded about the results of those who practice the deeds of the flesh, that the only way to not practice such things is to live by the Spirit. So he gives them two lists and exhortations. Paul made it clear to the Galatians how to walk by the Spirit and not the flesh. In this practical section of the book of Galatians, we observe some examples of what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. Some of the examples are found in our main passage, which go hand in hand with the exhortation to walk by the Spirit. And they are the following. 
Number one, we are to restore our brothers in a spirit of gentleness if they have sinned against us. The correlation between the passages is clear. Paul wants us to live by the Spirit, and that means we have to be gentle to one another. Gentleness was just mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit. Notice that the word fruit is singular. You cannot love others without being gentle towards them. If you are walking by the Spirit, you are peaceful, you are loving, you have self-control, and so on. Another example is that we ought to bear one another's burdens, which is fulfilling the law of Christ. This was just mentioned in Galatians 5.14 about the whole law being fulfilled in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. One more example we find in our main passage is that we are to examine our works like when we examine the list of the fruit of the, uh, the, fruit of the Spirit and the deeds of the flesh in the previous text. All right, so... The verse before our main passage, that's going to be the key for the context here. Let's read that. Uh, Galatians 5, 26. It says, Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So Paul's focus is most likely on the situation that's going on in the church of Galatia. There are many there who are looking to boast in their flesh. As long as we maintain good discipline, there will not be this type of pushing and shoving in the ranks, this kind of provoking and envying that Paul warns about in this verse. May, may we not be envying others in the church, but rather encouraging them in their walks with God. Grammatically, this verse is linked with the preceding verse as the negative counterpart to Paul's exhortation about the work of the Spirit to those who belong to Jesus. Paul is implying that the way to avoid such challenge, envy behavior is if both parties follow the leading of the Spirit since the fruit of the Spirit is love and we are to serve one another through love. Now, we're going to get into the issue of boasting um, when we talk about the third point, examining our own work. We know that challenging one another is the opposite of helping the church with their burdens and envying one another brings us back to the deeds of the flesh which is in direct contrast to doing good works by the Spirit. So, uh, we looked at the immediate context, but what about the verses after our main passage? Well, it's also about the flesh and the Spirit. Galatians 6, 8 states, How the one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows from the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It is as if our main passage is just sandwiched between these two teachings, on the spirit and the flesh. Therefore, as we tackle our passage, keep in mind we ought to walk by the spirit, and that is the only way we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And as we once crucify the flesh with its passions and desires, we are to continue in obedience to God. So that is our context. What is the main idea of our passage? The main idea is the following. Paul's purpose in writing was to challenge the Galatians to live by the spirit by loving their brothers and sisters in Christ through restoring those in sin and bearing their burdens. Galatians 6, 1 through 5 is about Paul commanding the Galatians to care about the church and examining their own work. I titled this sermon, The Church's Responsibilities as They Walk by the Spirit. Let us begin with our first point, the responsibility to restore. So let's read verse 1 again, Galatians 6. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one 
in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So within this verse, we are told who is responsible to restore a brother caught in sin. It begins with what? Brethren. So it should be a fellow believer in Christ, someone who is part of the family of God. But not just any brother in Christ, one who is spiritual. This is speaking about those believers who are walking by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and evidencing the fruit of the Spirit. Since they are walking by the Spirit, they will be able to restore a brother in a spirit of gentleness. But this believer is not a superhuman. They can still fall into sin. They can be tempted to not be gentle with their brother. They can be tempted to even join their brother in their sin. All believers ought to be careful when seeking to restore a brother. The word here for looking strongly emphasizes a continual, diligent attentiveness. If we are not attentive when we restore a brother, we too can fall into sin. So, we know that it is the responsibility of the spiritual brother to restore the brother who is caught in sin. Since we are all called to walk by the Spirit, we are all responsible to be accountable with our brothers in Christ. But what about that brother who was caught up in sin? What happened? Well, they were not walking by the Spirit. If they were walking by the Spirit, they would have not carried out the desires of the flesh. Since we all have a sinful nature, this can happen to any one of us. James 1.14 tells us that each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. In Galatians 6.1, we observe that this believer was caught in sin. The word caught has the idea that sin has gotten the better of him in a particular instance. He has been overtaken by sin rather than detected in it. I think we can all agree we've had a moment in our lives that we were overtaken by sin and we needed a brother or sister in Christ to rebuke us and correct us in love. That's what's described in Matthew 18.5. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. Keep in mind, we are talking about a brother in Christ caught in sin and not someone who habitually sins. This is an isolated act. A Christian is not ruled by sin because they have the Spirit of God dwelling in him, but they can still sin because they have a sinful flesh. And even though a person strives to walk by the Spirit, he or she will occasionally sin. So, what does this brother who is caught up in sin need? He needs to be restored. Sin has broken him. He needs to be mended and repaired. The word for restore is also used when mending nets and setting a fractured or dislocated bone. How can those who love their brothers in Christ look the other way when they are broken and in need of healing? I think of uh, two quick stories. Uh, my cousin, we were playing baseball, and um, there was some water, and he slipped, and he broke his arm. And I, I see him, and he's in pain, and how could I just be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to go get some McDonald's. No, he was in pain. He broke his arm. He needed help. And how, as a, his cousin, you know, since birth, how am I going to just look the other way? Or when one time, uh, same cousin, he, uh, he broke up with his girlfriend and his heart was broken. How could I just say, all right, you could deal with it? No, I had to be there for them. I had to be there for him um, during his brokenness. So we must seek to help our brothers, but how? The text tells us in the spirit of gentleness and with caution. When we are gentle with others, that does not mean we take sin lightly. 
This is a serious matter, and it should be discussed in an assertive tone. Gentleness points to the fact that we are to be meek in our, posi- in our approach. We ought to have this humble and gentle attitude that is patiently submissive in every offense while having no desire for revenge. If we have a spirit of gentleness, then we are submissive to the will of God, we are teachable, and considerate of others. Ephesians 4, 2-3 best relates to our text for it states, with all humility and gentleness, with patience showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We, don't not, we do not seek to shame our brothers about their sin. We seek to restore them and bring unity in the church. We are not any better than any other brother or sister in Christ. We all need each other as we learn in 1 Corinthians 12. In this chapter, we learn that we are part of the body of Christ. Verse 14 of that chapter states, For the body is not one member, but many. Verses 25 to 26 reminds us to care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Amen? So that is our first point. We have the responsibility to restore our brothers who are caught up in sin in a gentle yet cautious manner. Our next point is the responsibility to bear. Let's read verse 2 again. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. If we follow the context of of this passage, we can conclude that bearing one another's burdens is speaking about the brother who uh, who was caught up in sin and their need for us to be there for them. The word bear, it means to pick up, carry a weight. It has the idea to carry something with endurance. In this text, we observe, again, two parties the one who is bearing, and the one who has burdens. The one who is spiritual is not only called to restore his brother, his brother, but also to bear their burdens. Sin not only broke him, but it left him having to carry out this unbearable weight. My cousin, same one, recently hurt his ankle playing football. He needed to be carried off the field after his injury. He was soon put in a wheelchair and examined. And he was given crutches, and he was told, you need to rest this uh, ankle of yours. We are called to be the brothers that pick up the weight of those brothers who cannot pick themselves up. Romans 15, 1-3 states, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not come to please himself, but it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So there it is, a a great example of Christ. This text reminds us that Christ was there to bear the burdens of his brothers. He bears our burdens upon himself. 1 Peter 5 talks about how we are to clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. And in verse 7 it says, to cast all your burdens on God because he cares for you. Christ as our high priest, continues to bear our burdens. Hebrews 4.15 reads, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you beginning to understand how the love of Christ should motivate us to love our brothers? 
We go to God daily because we constantly need his help. Our brothers in Christ from time to time will need our help. If Christ has helped us so much, why would we not help our brothers when they are caught up in sin? How unloving it would be if we let them continue to be broken in their sin when they need to be restored. Also, they have a lot of burdens because of their sin, so we are going to have to be willing to sacrifice like Christ and bear heavy burdens. The Christian life was never going to be easy. We know this, right? In uh, Luke 9, 23, talking about discipleship. And Christ was saying to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This Christian life was never meant to be a one-person thing. It will require, require us to think about our brother's needs and bear their burdens. Christ did not give up on you do not give up on your brothers. So, we know we are called to bear. But bear what? What are these burdens, the text tells us? Well, these burdens are extra heavy loads, which here represent difficulties or problems people have trouble dealing with. These burdens include our personal faults, tensions, and griefs. These burdens can also be caused by social, economic, spiritual, or other conditions. I think we can all say we've been here. We feel like we're drowning we need an escape out of this mess. But you're trapped. You're weak. You have that spiritually broken leg and you need rescue. Thank God for blessing us with brothers and sisters in Christ. They have a responsibility to bear our burdens that we cannot lift. And we are not called to, to bear our own heavy burdens. We cannot do it on our own. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for us, to counsel us. Do not try carrying burdens you cannot lift. Tell someone about your struggles and someone mature in the faith. So, we have the responsibility to bear one another's burdens, but what is the result if we do that? We fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is that which every believer should seek to fulfill. This is the law of love which fulfills the entire law. When we fulfill the law of Christ, that means we are loving God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. The Judaizers, in contrast, were concerned about fulfilling the Mosaic law, but they did not do the one thing that fulfills all the moral requirements of the law, and that is to love one another. John 13, 34 states, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. If we love like Christ loved, that also means we ought to love our enemies. Therefore, we have no excuse to love on our brothers who are in need. Romans 13.8 reads and expresses this truth. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet. If there is any other commandment, it is summed up in, in this saying, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So we have the responsibility to not only restore our brothers, but also the responsibility to bear their burdens. Let us move on to the third and last point. The point is about the responsibility to examine our own work. Let's read again Galatians 3 to 5. Uh, chapter 6. 
For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. Given the context, there are some in the church that probably don't think they need to bear the burdens of their brothers or restore them. Some of them are not walking by the Spirit, but rather by the flesh. And they're going to be thinking all about themselves. They're going to be very selfish. They think highly of themselves as well, and we know that they're being prideful. Romans 12.3 should help those that think this way. Uh, it states, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think to as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. If you fast forward in this passage in verse 9, it reminds us to let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And in verse 13, it says, contributing to the needs of the saints practicing hospitality. A commentator said the following about these verses. Two eras might give a believer from fulfilling the role of bearing one another's burdens. The first one is conceit. That is, thinking himself to be more important than he is. The second is to be always thinking himself to be more important than he is. He's always comparing himself and his work with others. This is like the Corinthians when they were saying, well, I'm with Apollos. Oh, well, I'm with Paul. They compare the works of men when ultimately it is God who causes the growth. So, the first thing we need to examine is our hearts. We know from 1 Corinthians 3.13 that each man's work will become evident. For the day will come where it will be revealed to fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So we know we're going to all stand before Christ, that bema seat, and we're going to give an account for our works. And some of them uh, will perish and some of them will gain reward. So we ought to examine our hearts daily to see if our motives are are to bring God praise or to bring our own name glory. The second thing we need to do is examine our lives. MacArthur writes, Believers first must be sure their lives are right with God before giving spiritual help to others. Matthew 7, 3-5 demonstrate this because it's absurd for one who has a log in their eye to try to take a speck out of their brother's eye. It points to the hypocrisy of some people when they try to help their brothers in need of restoration. Imagine someone who just broke both of their legs trying to help someone who broke just one of their legs get up. It's not going to happen. So the word examine, it means to approve something after testing it. So when we examine our work, we do not quickly observe it. Think about taking the SAT. This is going to be a difficult test, sharpening your pencils, right? It will take a while and lots of digging into. Sometimes we think we truly are doing things with sincere motives. But if we dig deeper, we find that there is some hypocrisy. We should always ask our brothers in Christ what they think about this uh, maybe thing we're doing and, and be like, get some advice and, and, and get some wisdom before you make a huge decision. Another commentator writes, there's a great difference between introspection and self-examination. The former can easily devolve into this kind of narcissistic spiritual navel-gazing. 
true self-examination is not merely taking one's spiritual pulse but uh, on a regular basis, but rather submitting one's thoughts and attitudes and actions to the will of God and the mind of Christ revealed in Holy Scripture, end quote. So we ought to test ourselves to see if we are in the faith and examine ourselves as 1 Corinthians 13, 5 tells us. So what is the result of examining our own work? We will have reason, reason for boasting. Now, this is not the type of boasting that the Judaizers had about following the law. Now, while the Judaizers boasted about their success in encouraging legalism, Paul boasts in the cross of Christ alone. We read that in Galatians 6.14. This type of boasting is more about rejoicing in what God has done in our lives. We know according to Ephesians 2.10 that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Quote, Paul's meaning may be that encouragement over our progress and sanctification is derived not by comparing ourselves to others, but by reviewing our growth from early immaturity which the Spirit has granted, end quote. Notice how Paul speaks to the Corinthians about boasting only in the Lord for what God has done in him in 2 Corinthians 10, 12 to 18. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. Verse 13, it states, But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure. And then in verse 15, he says, Not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other man's labor, and in verse 16, he states, And not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another, but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. We have nothing to boast about in ourselves, because if it were not for God, we would not be who we are today or have anything we have. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 teaches us that it was God who called us. It was God who chose us and that no man may boast before God, it was by his doing that we are in Christ Jesus. We can only be wise, righteous, sanctified, and redeemed because of Christ. So, we who boast, boast in the Lord alone. One last text to observe about boasting, a favorite text of mine, I'm sure it's your favorite text as well, Ephesians 2, 8-9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, it is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that, no one may boast. If there is anything good I do, it is by God's grace. Why would I boast about myself when all glory belongs to God who made me who I am? He is the one who made me into a new creature in Christ. So, we have the responsibility to examine our own work. But what about that load we are to bear in verse 5? Aren't we already bearing enough by bearing the burdens of our brothers in Christ? Well, the word load has no connotation of difficulty. This refers to life's routine obligations and each believer's ministry uh, calling. Every Christian is responsible to carry his own weight. Think about your devotional life, right? You should be doing your own devotions. We all have this load to bear, but it's comparably light. Matthew 11.30 states that the yoke of Christ is easy and his burden is light. The word for burdens in verse 2 is an excessive burden and different to the, one, uh, the word used for load in the original language. Those burdens were about believers helping other believers overcome temptation. Uh, the word load here in verse 5 is our normal burden of responsibility. So the point is that God requires faithfulness in meeting our responsibilities. 
also these verses, uh, verses 3 to 5, they remind us that we should not take pride in how much better we are than others, for God alone is our judge. Now that we observe the importance of being responsible in restoring the brother in need, bearing their burdens, and examining our own work, we're going to be able to conclude with some application. So we all have responsibilities. I get it. Some of us have to pay a mortgage, a car, school debt. We have to go to work daily, spend time with our friends and family, help our kids with their homework, I don't know, through Zoom. All these things are important, but have we forgotten about the body of Christ? As believers, we have a responsibility to care for the church. We know that Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. He calls us also to love the church. So our first application for today is to love the church. We can love the church by correcting and rebuking our brothers that are in sin in a gentle manner. They need us to be there for them in those tough times. They do not need us to talk about how spiritual we are or how we don't struggle with these certain sins. Do not be a hypocrite, but rather walk by the Spirit. We are called to be humbly, uh, we are called to humbly confront others and be in constant prayer for one another. Anyone can fall. You can be next. The second application is to examine yourself. When was the last time you did this? Uh, in your spare time when you go home, I want you to read Matthew 25, 34 to 40 um, if you have not examined yourself in a while. You will notice something important in this text. The people of God care for the, peop- uh, for the body of Christ. If you do not care about God's people, you do not care about Christ. You keep reading this passage uh, in Matthew 25, verses 41 to 46. It continues to speak about those who will go away into eternal punishment. Christ says, For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. And those that are going to perish, they're going to question Christ and say, "Uh, When were you hungry? When did we not feed you? What are you talking about? And Christ will answer them, To the extent you did not do to the least of his brothers, they did not do to him. You see, the body of Christ is unified. We are one in Christ. There may be some of you that are listening today that are not part of the family of God. You don't care about the church because you're not part of the church. You need to repent of your sins today and trust in Christ alone. You are not a good person because of your good deeds that you do. No one is good, no, not one. We all deserve his wrath for every lie we've told every lust we try to satisfy, or for not loving God the way we should. You who are not saved, you're probably idolizing your job, maybe a car, your family. The only way you can be saved is if you place your faith in Christ, who died for your sins on the cross. He was buried and rose again on the third day. He is alive, and he is the only one that can make you come alive. If you repent today and place your trust in Christ, you will have eternal life. The Spirit of God we know only dwells in believers. They are the only ones that can gently restore their brothers and bear their burdens. They are the ones here in this text called to examine themselves. But even if you're not a Christian, you too are called to examine yourself. You have lived a sinful lifestyle. You have disobeyed God and you can die today. Will you place your faith in Christ or in your selfish, righteous, good works? He is calling you today to repent of your pride and humble yourself before him in faith.
Our last application for today is to strive for unity in the church. We can either be like the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3.3, filled with jealousy and strife, or like Psalm 133, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Is there someone maybe you're upset with in your own church today? Is there someone you're jealous of? You are not better than them. They are not better than you. You need each other. Do not give up on one another. Pray for one another. And as you pray, the Lord will soften your heart to humbly approach them. Do not throw away your responsibility to restore them if they are in sin. Who knows? They can be the next person to translate the Bible into another language that leads to the salvation of many. Lastly, remember the text in Matthew 25 and how helping others is like helping Christ. If you saw Christ on the floor in need of help, would you look the other way? When Christ saw you dead in your sins, he did not look the other way. He died for you. Someone who was his enemy and hated him, are you willing to look to your brother's needs and lay down your life for them? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, this text was a difficult one for, we know many times we have this pride in us, this selfishness where we just want to focus about our own needs. And Lord, you call us to think about our brothers, our sisters in Christ in need, those that may have fallen into sin, temptation. Lord, help us to be an encouragement to them. Help us to reach out to them in love and gently point them to the truth. Lord, we've all been there where we've been drowning or being overtaken in sin, Lord, and we, and we need rescue. And Lord, thank you for the provision of other brothers and sisters in Christ that we can help each other get up. We can pick each other's weight. Lord, I pray for this church, I pray for my church as well, that we will be a church that models this example, that, Lord Christ, you did not look the other way. We ought not to look the other way when our brothers are in need. Help us to be united. Help us to love one another. May all glory go to you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.